Met a girl downtown at the bar last night and we got talking. Said she likes cheap drinks and tattoos and Morgan Wallen. She said, what about you? I said, I like late night bonfires, Yellowstone, Whiskey Myers, and lift the trucks with mud on the All right, buddy. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. I am super pumped for this one. It sort of came up last minute after a somewhat fiery incident in Richmond Hill with one of our rebel news reporters last week. And I really felt it important to get this gentleman on the podcast as he has a unique background in, well, I guess, protecting our, our government and high, high up officials. And that's something I have no idea about, but I thought it'd be super important to get Danny Bulford on the podcast. He is an absolute legend over the past three years. The things that you did and that Danny did for our country. Whenever the trucker movie comes out, there's going to be someone with a beauty ginger beard having to play your role. <laughs> welcome welcome to the podcast, buddy. Ah, oh, well, thank you, man. It's an honor to be here. Honor to be here. We've we've had the opportunity to meet a couple times in person, and uh, it was Good time spent together, sporting the non-negotiable hat, which I wear Maybe. everywhere as a conversation piece for people. Looks beautiful. And, and uh, yeah, man, I I remember when when you resigned. I think it was an Instagram post or something like that, because I wasn't on Instagram at the time. And my wife like comes running in and she's like, "It's not just you. There's others." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Awesome! I got to meet that guy one day." Yeah, and it happened, man. It's uh, yeah, like you said. So you were a police officer from '06 to '21, and right before I handed in mine, uh, you handed in your badge December 2021, right in the heap of the shit. Um, before, in my opinion, the trucker saved our asses, uh, which you were a huge part in. But yeah, like 15 years on as an RCMP copper, um, I'd love to hear your but the background because it's something different. Like my my uncle was in on the RCMP for like 32 years or something, and he was. Alberta, like straight patrol, like what you would picture like an OPP cop being in uh, Ontario. And mm -hmm. it's just, but then there's sides of it where you, I guess you, you graduate from police school or whatever it's called for, for the RCMP guys. And you just go straight to the surveillance unit and you've never done, you've never arrested a human being. So like, it's such a different process and uh, so different than municipal policing or provincial policing. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I've I've always thought that's a huge mistake to send new recruits right to federal units where they're not going to learn like how to be a street cop and, and go hands on with people. I was lucky that wasn't the route I took uh, right out of depot. I went to Whitehorse Yukon. I spent I served in two detachments up there. You know, Whitehorse was kind of small scale, 24 hour city policing. So it was good. I learned lots quick because the radio just keeps going and you just go, go, go. And then I worked in a little town called Mayo, which is about four hours north of Whitehorse. And it's it's pretty remote. It's about 400 people. And that was more like that TV show, Alaska State Troopers. Like yeah. legit, it, it was. Like there was a lot of similarities there. So that was good because I had to learn how to do a whole bunch of other things that I didn't do in Whitehorse because we didn't have any support staff. We didn't have our own. Well, we did have guards, but they weren't always available. Uh, I even had to transcribe my own statements a lot of the time, like stuff like that. But then also because the RCMP are kind of it for 
services in some of those small towns like you're not just the local cop right like you also plan the kids halloween party and you you know you might help the guys put in the curling rink or the hockey rink ice and you might be the zamboni driver like you do a whole bunch of different stuff but i actually didn't mind that i i I used to love like plowing driveways for people with the side by side and the blade like in a winter storm i'd just throw my parka on with my radio so if a call came in i could go and then I just go plow snow. Um, but it, it also came with some elevated risk because you didn't have like backup readily available all the time, right? Like the majority of the time I was on duty by myself. And if I had backup in town, they were usually at home asleep in bed or, you know, they might be out doing something. We tried to stay relatively close to town, but you just had to, you know, really try and use your best judgment about when you needed to call back up out and, and when you thought you could probably manage a, a call by yourself, oh, but yeah. definitely you- different, different than when you're working in a city and you have like five cops coming to one call. Oh, exactly. In worst case scenario, that might be five minutes or less or one minute. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're yeah. having to learn rookie copper hits the road in the middle of nowhere, quote unquote, by yourself. You better learn how to speak to people right or with people like you're not you're not you know rookie copper full of piss and vinegar like i probably for sure was right you gotta (laughs) talk you gotta talk to people and manage situations as a rookie well so the first four years i was in whitehorse and so i did have the backup and stuff readily available and so i probably had a little bit of that although i think when i first started i was probably a little more patient and compassionate and and then by like my third fourth year in whitehorse you know you you deal with the same people over and over again you just kind of you lose patience with certain repeat customers and so as soon as you'd hear certain names come over the radio like your rage level would just elevate it's like oh they're going to jail as soon as i go as soon as i get on the scene um so i think it I uh, I used to say I think I think someone should uh, RCMP officers anyway I think someone should probably transfer every three to four years before your anger gets the best of you and you do or say something that you shouldn't. Yeah, for sure, and it, that's especially I think for I find the cops that care the most and the ones that are the most invested, they feel everything more. Sometimes they get in more shit than others because they just care so fucking much. And yeah, it's hard. For like sure. you're right. You you need to move around because damn, the road's hard. The road can be hard. It's a grind. Yeah. I mean, you you yeah. see a lot of bad you see a lot of bad shit and it uh, it can wear on your soul. Yeah. So you have you got three kids ranging from nine to thirteen. Did, when mm-hmm. did you meet Piper? Oh, way before I joined the Mounties. Okay. Yeah, we we started dating when we were both living in the Grand Prairie, Alberta. And so she, she's been with me through the whole thing, like pre RCMP, my time at training up North out in Ottawa. And so she's, she's seen the whole gambit of everything I've experienced. We, I've been with her longer than I've been without her. Pipes is amazing. Yeah, we, we love her. Jen says hi, by the way. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. yeah, we love yeah you so guys, you, man. Thanks, man. So you, you got hired. How old were you? 2006. 24. So you're young too. Yeah. So 24. 
she sees the transition of yeah, that's still pretty fucking young, man. Like I got on at 21, 24. Like I think that's still so young when you see 24 year olds, 25 year olds like today, you're like, not a fucking chance should you be on the road with a gun <laughs> talking to anybody about anything. Right. So you you yes. get on young, innocent Danny, you go up north, wicked experience up in the Yukon, and then you you transfer small town, and then eventually you, you switch to what would you call it? Protective detail or what's it called? Well, in the RCMP, it's called ERT or emergency response team. Okay. And so that's, that's like the RCMP's nicey, nice way of saying SWAT or tactical. And so nice-y, nice-y. I, well, that's how they are. Right. I mean, everybody, oh, it's, any yeah. cop in Canada knows that the RCMP is like, Ooh, can't be aggressive. So I, uh, I, I joined the team while I was in Whitehorse because every province and territory at that time had a team. You know, some teams were full-time, some teams were part-time. So you would do it in addition to your regular duties. Okay. You know, you, you, so you, you, you do like a tryout, you have a selection of some kind. If you pass all of that, you probably kind of strike, you're a striker with the team, kind of like a trainee for I was that for like two and a half years because there was other guys in the queue ahead of me. And then you go to Ottawa. That's where the national course is held usually at least once a year. And that was like a seven or eight week course. So where you're learning all about like firearms and patrol tactics, like high risk patrol tactics and CQB, like uh, clearing buildings, stuff like that. You know, once you get to like the very end, you're doing, you're learning some kind of base, I, I would say basic hostage rescue tactics. Okay. It's actually a really good course. And I mean, it's a long days and it's go, 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 but they, they pack a lot of material into a short period of time. And when you leave there, you're, you're doing pretty good. And then you go to an operational team. And so usually the team that sent you is the team that receives you back. And so I was a part-time art guy while I finished my service in the Yukon. And so that's how I ended up transferring right to a full-time team in, uh, based out of Ottawa. So when I left Yukon, there was only a handful of full-time teams across the country. And so the only ones I was realistically looking at was Ottawa or the teams in Alberta. So I, I got a call from Ottawa seeing if I was interested and pipes and I were like, yep, let's give it a try. So moved out there, uh, spent eight years there until I okay. eventually resigned over the COVID mandates. Okay. So yeah, it's crazy. I didn't know. So you got on as like an ERT guy or ERT mm-hmm. operator, right? So if you're in Ottawa, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm not assuming I know. So Ottawa has their own tech team. It's just like Toronto has their tech team, York has their tech team. You're yes. an RCMT, RCMP tech guy, we'll say. You didn't go to like calls, did you? Or is this like specifically meant to protect the the government? Or well, so the team was originally created back in the 80s after the Turkish embassy was taken over. Like there was a, a hostage taking at the Turkish embassy. And uh, I think the security guard was shot and killed. And uh, the ambassador managed to escape. And then eventually they, they negotiated a surrender. 
So that's when they, that, back then, like the RCMP had a heavier footprint in Ottawa. And so they created ERT, which then kind of evolved into CERT, which then was taken over by JTF2. So at one point in time, pre-JTF2, the RCMP had the Canada's national counterterrorism team. And that was called, oh. that was CERT before that got handed over to the military and when JTF2 was formed. But, so they, but they maintained an ERT, so uh, ERT. But, yeah, so in Ottawa, RCMP, like, were strictly federal and strictly protective. And so right. the protective thing, like, other teams do that in other parts of the country, but because we're local to the capital or because my old team is in the NCR, that was kind of something that we, we probably did more protective work than we did like traditional tactical operations. Right. So we kind of, they kind of adopted the secret service way of doing things where you'll have like counter snipers and a counter assault team which is part of the part of the protective detail. But instead of having that all in house with the prime minister's detail, they just took members of ERT and trained them in that. And then they just used us for that pretty much almost on a regular, well, almost on a daily basis. It kind of depends on the threat level, but, um, so, and but we, we would do calls if we were asked to support uh, some, like if, if there was a really big high profile incident, lots of, you know, we might get called by OPP or we might get called by OPS to, to assist. Uh, typically though, when we worked with those guys, it would be on like planned hits. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Like so you started... They'd have a big roundup to do, and so they would do a few locations. We'd do a couple. OPP would do a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Got you. So you started uh, the protective details what year? I transferred to Ottawa in July 2013. 2013. And so who, who was running the country then? Okay. It was, uh, what's his Harper. face? Harper. Stephen yeah, Harper. When, yeah. Whenever everything was better financially and safer and shit. Uh, yeah, overall, we were doing better, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. so what's involved as, like, what's a day like? Um, if they leave the country, do you follow? And then you have certain, I wouldn't say powers, but, you you know, if you got to do work and you're in another country, does that happen? Yep. It right. depends on the country. Um, yeah, you know, if, if they're going to, like, the United States, if they're going to a developed country with a highly competent agency then they're not going to take us bodyguards like the close protection bodyguards will still go because i think they they pretty much go everywhere okay but they would they would use us if they were going somewhere that was a little more developing a little more like high threat so i i deployed internationally on two occasions once to uh liberia in africa and then uh to papua new guinea it was that cool? Cool experience? Yeah, it was. I would say, you know, protective work. The planning is interesting. 
the interagency training and working together is interesting, but the actual like day of event is usually a lot of just like being in position just in case something happens. So I would say the international work as far as protective goes is definitely the most interesting in my, and that's how I perceived it. And I think most other guys would agree with me on that. Like, uh, I mean, here I am, this small town, Northern Alberta kid. My view of the RCMP is like small town cop. Maybe one day if I'm lucky, I'll be a homicide detective or something like major case uh, or MCU major. Yeah. Major crime, major crime. That's what it's called. Major crime unit investigator. I had no idea that ERT was even a thing when I joined the RCMP. And then I definitely never thought that I'd be like rolling around in an armored land cruiser in Africa, like strapped up with a plate carrier, a carbine and everything like ready to rock and roll. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. My, yeah. I told, I told Ryan, my, so my kids were just put to bed and I'm like, yeah, I'm, she was, who's, who's on the podcast. I'm like a sniper. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, really? I'm like, yeah. Right. It's just fucking just the word. Eh? Like they're so funny. Well, again, you know, the training is awesome. Yeah. When you're on a real, when you're on a legit sniper call where you're looking through the scope at like a, at a barricaded person in a house, you know, and he, he's a potential threat to you or the public, you feel good about what you're doing, right? You're like, Hey, this is what I'm here for. This is exactly what I train for. If this happens, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Whereas the protective counter sniping gets really old, really boring, really quick. Well, you know what? It's like terrorism files. Like when I was in surveillance, some fucking files were so boring. So boring. And then you get called off and you get you switch files and you go do a bunch of armed robbers and you, you get to smash into their car. It's just some files <laughs> are just terribly boring. And yeah, you know, sometime and then all of a sudden it flips and you're fucking, you know, smashing dudes, right? Well, to give you a hint or to give you an idea of how boring the protective work could be from from my point of view, was that when we would get one of those surveillance like when we would be doing tactical support to surveillance on a terrorism file, I was like, yes, I was so excited to finally be like, let's go after a real bad guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Training's good. If you're on a hot call, you feel good yeah. about what you're doing, but sitting on top of a building in downtown Ottawa for the hundredth time watching buildings, looking for like, imaginary potential threats is really boring. So what do you do to, you know, I picture like, you know, movies like uh, American sniper or whatever, like, what do you do to keep yourself from falling asleep? Do you like role play? You can only do that so many fucking thousands of times where you're sitting there trying to stay focused. Right. You know, what am I going to do if X happens? What am I going to do if this happens? You know, all well knowing that, you know, while trying to not be complacent, knowing that you got to be ready to fuck if something bad happens. Yeah, um, it it does require a lot of discipline. Um, most guys, I think, are pretty good about staying switched on because you just you, you want to be a professional, right? And so, if something goes down, you don't want to be the guy who got caught napping on the job. Idea, yeah. 
And uh, I don't know, for me, I just spent a lot of time on optics, right? Okay. Like um, anytime I was starting to feel like I was kind of getting a little bit complacent, I'd kind of snap myself out of it and scan, scan my threat area with optics and, you know, pay closest attention to it. I'd try and look for places that I would hide if I was a bad guy, right? Or where I would attack from if I was okay. an enemy. So that's what I would I'd do little games like that in my head. And then I would zoom in on those areas and take a real good long close look and try and look for any kind of indicator of anything that might need further investigation. And that's another thing, right? Like if we, if we saw like a suspicious package or something like that, that was also something that was our responsibility, right? Like you're doing overwatch, but you're also like a source of like a bird's eye source of Intel for ground level guys who can't see what we see. Yeah. So did you have bomb guys, canine guys, sniper guy, oh, yeah. you got all the shit, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's bet. cool. So we got to get to this shit. It's just, it's, it's wild. I watched that video again today of what happened in Richmond Hill. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, pause the shit. Go watch what happened with Rebel News reporter <laughs> David Menzies and Christian Freeland in the fucking head case of a protective detail guy. Um, it's it's so mind-boggling. And you did a post the other day where you're like, you're trying to like not be on social media and worry about all this shit and get involved in the shit and try to stay positive and be family man and take care of your family. But this one is so... F I think it's just so important for us to hear what you think of it we can talk about it like it's so fucking tyrannical what happened to that reporter it's we need we need to walk through it yeah well you know he david menzies so earlier in the day christopher freeland and justin trudeau both are virtue signaling about all the Canadians who lost their lives when that flight was shot down by the Iranians, right? Uh, you know, but they'll they'll speak out one side of their mouth condemning Iran, but they will not commit to the IRG. I think it's the IRGCC, basically the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. They won't ever commit to listing them as a terrorist entity or even condemning that group like by name. Mm. And so, like, it's typical of them, right? They want to, they, they play to both sides all the time. And so David Menzies approaches Christian Freeland as she's walking down the sidewalk, asking her about the IRGCC and, like, what, you know, why won't you condemn them? You know, just earlier in the day, you're talking about a crime that they're you know, heavily suspected of being involved in, which, you know, resulted in the death of a lot of Canadians but you won't condemn this group. And he, as he's walking along, you know, he gets intercepted by this member of the protective detail. I, I think it's a, probably a VIP section guy because typically PMPD is reserved just for the PM and family. And, uh, you know, from the video that I saw anyway, in real time, you know, protect, bodyguard sticks out his arm and makes contact with Menzies first. And then ends oh, yeah. up like having a hold of Menzies and like pulling him away from Freeland and kind of pushing him up against the wall and just kind of goes into robot mode, right? Like police, you're under arrest for assault. Police, you're under arrest for assault. Which, you know, that whole tactic of like they, they train us about 
creating witnesses. Like, I think that's probably where that guy's head was at, right? Like making it clear that I'm the police and I'm arresting this guy for assault so that anyone watching will be like, oh, he's a police officer and he's been assaulted. But I mean, from what I saw, there was clearly no assault from Mr. Menzies at all, right? Oh, and no, so- it was a... It was a pick and roll by the fucking protective guy. He just got in the way instead of pick. Right. Exactly. Right. And then and then tries to flip it around for like some bullshit excuse to arrest Menzies and get him, uh, you know, eliminate the discomfort of Minister Freeland, which I've seen other instances where, well, I mean, this is not the first time David Menzies has been manhandled and arrested by a protective detail. I think uh, maybe about a year ago, same thing happened outside of a restaurant down in Toronto, I think somewhere, where he gets like pinned up against a wall by, I think it was PMPD. Mm-hmm. And uh, even prior to my me leaving the RCMP, I remember watching a video of Kean Bexty, who used to work for Rebel, and I think he was at the time getting like manhandled by this sergeant from PMPD because he he was trying to get access to Rideau Hall as part of the press uh, gallery that would get to like have scrums with the prime minister when he would do those like little COVID updates from the from the the cottage on the GG property and. So even even at that instance, you know, I see this this sergeant, an RCMP sergeant, guy probably has like twenty plus years on the job, and he just go and he's like, he can't answer any of Kean's questions, and instead of just being like super calm, and collected, and just saying, "Look, you're not getting in. That's the end of it. I don't care if you don't like it. You're not getting past this gate." And just that being the end of it, he just keeps going on with, this is my site, this is my site, this is my site. Like, this property does not belong to you. You know that, right? And then when Kean refuses to leave, which he's, he's in a public space, like he's not committing any kind of offense, this RCMP sergeant grabs him by the arm and like bends his arm up behind his back and just starts carrying him off without saying a word about him being detained or arrested or anything like no utterance whatsoever. And, and, you know, Kean must know something. So he starts asking like, am I arrested? Am I being detained? And buddy just, I'm escorting. Nope, nope, nope. I'm escorting you off the site. And I'm watching this take place. And I'm just like, you just committed assault. Like that officer just committed assault. Like he clearly has no idea what he's doing. And I think that might come back to one of those instances where, a lot of people who go to federal maybe never did street cop policing. And so they don't really have a real, a real strong sense of you know, their powers of arrest, right? Because they probably arrested very few people in their career. Now, so all that to be said, you know, I don't know what the Richmond Hill officer's experience is because there's... There's a lot of cops in Ottawa, a lot of RCMP, I should say, in Ottawa that have done only federal, but there's also a lot that have done their time out in contract provinces and then transfer to Ottawa to, for like, to be on a specialized unit or even just to like take a break from the grind. You know what I mean? And so I, I can't, I have no idea who this guy is. I've never seen him before. I've never worked with him before. 
but he clearly in my mind committed an unlawful arrest and well, at minimum and i would say i would say an assault on david menzies oh yeah so if you even if like i watched it right before we jumped on here and because you see menzies walking up towards freeland and some other uh, lady and the cops out of sight still. So Menzies at this point is clearly not under arrest. He's done nothing because no one's approached him. He's walking up to go speak with her. So it's not like the argument of, oh, something may have happened off camera before. Well, nothing did because the no. cop made his decision after he made the pick where Menzies is like, I wouldn't say he's an old man, but what do you think? He's 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe. I don't even know. And he's got his microphone and a had a not a, a clipboard. Right. He's not committing assault. He's bumping into you. Right. Yeah. It would just be, you know, as if you're in a grocery store and you turn around quickly with your arm and you accidentally whack someone in the face with your hand. That's not assault. There's no intent. Right. Exactly. So anyone listening who's never been involved in this sort of investigation or assault, there needs to be an intent. Like, I'm going to mm -hmm. punch you in the face to hurt you, not swing around and hit you by accident. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this. Like, he's just trying to talk to Freeland, ask her a question. And this guy sets a pick on purpose. It's so, you could tell it was so planned. And his rage, he went from zero to a thousand. Like, yeah. it makes you think he's fucking her. Like, maybe he's dating Freeland. Like, his, <laughs> his reaction was so, for a fake assault, what a bitch. I've been involved in scrums and scuffles. And even then, I remember, like, a few years in, we're like, we're not doing these bullshit assault police charges anymore. Because they're bullshit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if you're in a scuffle and it's, you know, he's resisting arrest. Okay, cool. But really, like, did he really try to fight me? No. And in this case, yeah. he caused the interaction. He caused the physical contact or contact. Right. For sure. Yeah. He lost his fucking marbles. And to get, make it even worse, you could tell there's a point where he's like, fuck, I think I fucked up. And then he like doubled down. And then he's, he still hasn't arrested him with hit or sorry, he still hasn't handcuffed him yet. Do these guys not have handcuffs or, or firearms or anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they should. Was that, there was a point where Menzies is still sitting there and he's asking that now this other four, uh, like Prime Minister, what do you call him, PMPD? Well, th that would be the PM detail. I think these guys okay. were probably VIP section. Okay, so they're still cops, right? So the yeah, second yeah. guy oh, se second guy's there. Yeah, yeah, second guy's there. He's now trying, and then he's telling him he's under arrest for assault. And now that guy's involved in this shit sandwich, right? Yeah. And you got, and he you can just see like. None of you, none of you fuckers have your cuffs out yet. You know that this is wrong. This decision yeah. that you made, you're doubling down. You're on camera. Now you're fucked. Pull out your handcuffs, pussy. Arrest them. Right? <laughs> if, if I tell someone you're under arrest, I don't say it to them 55 times. Yeah. Right? Once or twice, and then you're in handcuffs. And if it's a legit arrest and you're, and you're resisting, then it's fucking gold time. We're going to roll around a bit. <laughs> right? But you could tell. You could tell they're like, fuck. One guy. The stills of, of of his eyes popping out of his head, I think he's fucking Freeland. Well, have you ever heard the term? You probably have. I mean, you're a switched on dude, like in the black. Wait, well, that guy was in the black. Yeah, that's what I mean, right? Like people <laughs> go in the black and they just get like tunnel vision. Like when the mm -hmm. stress amps up, yep. they get tunnel vision and they just like, it's like they just, it's like they're bumping into a wall and they just keep bumping into the same wall over and over again instead of like seeing the bigger picture. Like yeah. that's when I was watching him, I was like, okay, he's so focused on trying to make this look legit that he is like just in the black and just like 
lost it. kept repeating like Mr. Robot, right? Like just repeating himself over and over and over again. And it's not working. So I just got to do it louder. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. His vision wasn't there. He was like, so like you said, he went in the fucking black, but in the biggest thing. So I've, I've read a shit ton of comments on sites that aren't news uh, channels, because again, we're in communist Canada and we can't see news. So yeah. there's a shit ton of Canadians that some think it was York police that arrested him initially. Right. Some people think that Menzies is still in fucking jail, which he's not. It's like it's it's wild that and that's why I felt it was so important that we talk about this because we obviously have more insight. We have people that are yep. there, right? We have contacts on the inside. But like our CMP started this shit show. The protective detail caused this shit show. And then Freeland goes on the news. I think it was yesterday. And I it was actually on one of the main news channels on TV, right? Because you can't see it on on social media anymore. And she passed the buck to the area of jurisdiction and that basically she doesn't know anything about this stuff. It's a police thing and it's the area of jurisdiction. So she passed the fucking puck and I'm hard on York when I need to be, but here I'm actually pleasantly surprised about what happened. The second they took custody of him, they released him right away. Good. Good. Like, like within minutes, within minutes. So, and it's crazy. Like, in terms of like police, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, like the way it is, like if, if an RCMP officer or even a York officer arrests someone for assault, you need to give the grounds to the officer yes. who is taking chain of custody of this arrested party. So <laughs> I wonder what the fuck these guys told York, because you could tell the York guys are like, what, what is happening right now? Right. And there was some whispering yeah. going on off, off the side of the camera, but I, I would love freedom of information. Let's see what the fuck our CMP told the Yorkie guys. Cause they don't want to fucking be there. No one wants to fucking be there. They know it's bullshit, but yeah. they now have to now take custody of an unlawful arrest with bullshit grounds, but they weren't there and they haven't been able to see the video yet. I'm assuming unless one of the coppers is like live on Instagram. Cause I think it was, it was a live stream. Was it not? While it was happening, uh, probably I think Rebel I th- usually usually tries to run things live like that. Yeah, I think it was a lot like their little surprise approaches to ministers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So and, and you could see like York takes custody and then they're off off screen. So I right away I messaged a couple buddies. I'm like, please tell me you're at this. I need to know what's happening. This is fucking insane, right? Yeah. And my buddy got back to me a few hours later, and yeah, York released them right away. There was some infighting with some of the YRP brass, like some of the dick lickers that are part of the organization <laughs> wanted, <laughs> wanted Menzies. So RCMP wanted Menzies to stay in the cells until the end of the event on bullshit, which is equally fucking insane. Right. Similar to when you, you were, you were taken to custody in Ottawa. Bullshit. Right. So I wonder how they would try and articulate that, like to prevent the repetition or the continuation of the offense. Yeah, that like, never happened. That's pretty weak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the offense that, that, that never, never occurred. Happened. Yeah. yeah. So, so someone from York, I know everyone who was involved, but again, I'm not using names, but hats off to you, brother, for they were button heads and one dude with a dick made a decision and he's like, fuck this, release them right away, side of the road. Yeah, and good. Immediate release. Unconditional yeah. release. So, so for anyone who's wondering. That's embarrassing yeah. to have yeah. to be involved in that period. Oh yeah, no charges. Distance yourself right away because 
I hope Rebel sues the fuck out of these clowns. Well, it's going to be us, right? Because I'm guessing it's all our money. Yeah, right? of course it is. But yeah. like, you got to make an example of these fucking head cases. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with this copper, but like, whether he's unhinged or he's fucking dating Freeland or whatever his reasoning is, or if it was planned, like, that's when these guys need to start speaking the fuck up. Like, if Freeland, Freeland or some political hack has you guys playing their bullies for them and making unlawful arrests, risking your career, making you look like a fucking head case, say something. Yeah, well, this is my experience, especially these last few years of what I, what I suspect is probably happening behind closed doors. <laughs> Guys with a decent head on their shoulders have seen it and they're like, can you, can you believe that? Like, I mean, those are some of the messages I got. Like, did you see this? Like, this guy is like, well, the terminology is not very nice, but this guy's full tarred, right? Like, that was one of the messages I got. And I'm like, yeah, I saw it. Pretty unbelievable, but not surprised. So there's probably going to be all kinds of conversations going on behind closed doors of that nature. Oh, yeah. But it, this it, guy... This guy, like, if he is disciplined at all, oh, he'd be next to nothing. He'll probably get, he'll like maybe get like a, a 1004, like a, a write up, right? Yeah. Yeah. With some like BS, like learning assistance, remedial type training. But in reality, the masters at protective policing are going to be like tapping him on the back and being like, hey, good job. Way to make the minister feel good. That's what I suspect so? is probably. Yeah, I, oh God, man! It is. It's it's crazy. So you you've, you know, you've experienced what senior managers can be like in the policing world, right? You know, the solid ones are the workers because they're the ones who join to do good work because they you know they want to do a career that they're proud of. The guys who climb up to the top, you know, I've I've known some decent officers. But I've definitely had my share that they're in it to climb that ladder. And so instead of spending their time focusing on being the best cop they can be, they're focusing all their time looking for ways that they can write up examples about how amazing they are for their promotional competency resume. And they don't rock the boat, right? They don't rock the boat with the brass because then that, jeopardizes their career aspirations yeah i could see it definitely being like in terms of like police culture um it's yeah it's definitely like that everywhere like again like your your dms probably blew up mine blew up as soon as the i saw the york patch i'm like fuck mm -hmm. right but then right away i'm fucking reaching out to people but yeah like it's such a what do you think is the cause of all the cops and it's I'm going to say most. What is it that's in them that stops them from speaking out? You know, unlike how we do. What like we have like a fuck it gene, or is it fear? Because um, we all know, like you sit, like you know, back back when you were in your first deployment up north, right? You start your shift with however many dudes. You shoot the shit. You make fun of your sergeant. Your sergeant comes in. You have off color jokes, shit that would probably fucking have people. Canceled. Like, holy fuck the what right like just the yeah the i wouldn't say offside but the locker room talk right let's take a donald yeah, Trump yeah. quote uh for 
And then when it comes to making the right decision, speaking out for the right reasons, whether it's for your kids, whether it's for, well, fucking all of COVID, people being locked out of their jobs. What is it in cops that they can speak out in private, but then the second your fucking balls are on the line, you turn into a fucking mute? <laughs> well, I think the simplest explanation for me is loss of income, loss of status, loss of comfort. Right. Cause yeah. I mean, it's, it's not easy. Well, I mean it at one time it wasn't anyway, it's not, you know, it can be a pretty, it can be a grind to get into policing. And then especially if you've kind of got into a desirable position, you know, it's, it's, it's fear of like losing that. That's what I think. And so they, they hold that, they hold that over you. Right. Um, I mean, looking back, I was now, like even I was guilty of that, right? There was lots of times where there was stuff happening to other members where, you know, I would tell that member in private or in the, in the like watch room, you know, like that's bullshit, man. Like they're totally throwing you under the bus for doing exactly what they trained you to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I only started to like express those publicly to supervisors when I became a supervisor myself. Right. Okay. I would, uh, that once I became a supervisor, if I saw guys that were, you know, on my team getting thrown under the bus, then I would like, I would write to the commissioner. I would write to um, higher ranking officers kind of advocating for that guy on their behalf, right? You know, saying like, this is the kind of guy, if I was going to a nasty gun call, this is the kind of guy I'd want with me. This is, you're punishing him for doing exactly what you, our organization, trained him to do yeah yeah you definitely i don't mean like cops should talk or speak up all the time because then it's just a lot of noise um and every fight is in your fight and i was guilty as fuck jen would be like mike this is in your fight leave it alone this has nothing to do with you and i would fucking stick my nose into the middle of it, <laughs> right trying to fucking again like stick up for someone who's won't do it for themselves and i'm like fuck it i have to right that's one of my flaws i can't help myself but i get like loss of a position you're not losing your fucking job if you tell a sergeant he's fucking full of shit you're not losing your job you probably won't even get transferred if you're on the road what are they going to do punch it back to the road everyone says that's one of the fucking lines right yeah it's it's definitely to a point and you said it you said it in durham when uh aaron howard i think had her first appearance the amount of cops that don't understand, and I've had heated conversations with some, they don't understand how badly they have fucked themselves with the perception and support of the biggest police supporting group in the history yep. of the world, which is like blue collar motherfuckers, hardworking yep. families, people who love their kids, love their country. When the BLM stuff was happening and they were all being called racist and the carding horse shit happened in Toronto, all of the people that wanted people to have the right to work turned on a vaccine if they wanted to, pro-convoy, they were pro-police. And now a lot of them they were. were. Yeah, they were. That's, that's, that's the right term. Um, uh, and I, I was 
I was saying that to OPS when I was like face to face with them when the convoy was getting taken down. I was like, these are the people that said back to blue when everybody else, when your woke masters were chanting defund the police and marching with them and kneeling with them. These are the people that were like, no, 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 we need cops, man. We need good cops. So they have done they have done a significant amount of damage to trust in their, in their profession in Canada, for sure. The biggest part of that point is there's gotta be a point where your voice has to outweigh whatever consequences are coming. Cause you're not losing your job. I've worked with fucking guys who've had two impaired charges in a matter yep. of like 30 hours, <laughs> right? The, the shit yeah. that some of these fucking guys do, and th- like again, there's bad apples everywhere, and these fucking guys still have their jobs. Yeah. So if you just merely saying, you know what, this is wrong, I'm not fucking telling anyone they can't go to work. I'm not laying that charge. Charge me with insubordination. Charge me with neglect. Cool. That's what are they going to do? They're not going to fucking fire you. Your job is safe. Your your finances are safe. You will never lose your job. There's too much precedent of guys that do bad shit all the time. And they're working at the fucking collision reporting center, doing accident reports, making yeah. one hundred ten thousand dollars a year still. Yeah, right? there's people. There's people that should be fired. They're still working. There's no excuse. I, I, for me, I don't think there is at this point with the damage that's been done, with how people are view police officers. And I, and I'm a fucking it breaks my heart. Fucking yeah, breaks man, my too. heart, right? Like we bled blue. I still fucking bleed blue. It'll piss off some of the guys that don't like me anymore, but I don't care. There, there aren't many people that will speak up. And say what needs to be said, no matter what the consequence. And you and I still do that. And I truly believe we we still do support police. But fuck, man, their support is dwindling. Well, you know, I mean, I still have a brother who's in the in the RC, right? And I mean, like, I know he's rock solid. I know, like, he wasn't going to enforce any of that COVID BS about mass calls and vaccine passport calls. But you know, like. When I see, when I see what some people are, you know, when people are expressing their current, like their altered view of police now, I talk to him about it and I'm like, look, man, like, I know this isn't you, but I want you to know that this is the sentiment that is out there now. And so, like, you know, there was a, there was a, a video going around a while back during all the wildfires where people were evacuated from homes out here out west where there was like some ERT guys on the road kind of just backing up a, like a general duty guy who was having this conversation with a lady who wanted access to this property for deliver some supplies or, or recover some supplies of some kind, something like that. I mean, I don't know the whole story, right? But the articulation about why she couldn't pass through that checkpoint from that GD guy was terrible, terrible. He's basically like a, a variation of, oh, I can't, just following orders. That's not what he said. He was saying something like, oh, you know, I don't know, it's, it's above my pay grade. It's like, listen, man, that does not cut it right now. That cannot be your explanation. If, if you're going to deny people access to their homes, yeah. You better be able to explain exactly why and explain it to them in a way like you better be convincing. Like you guys need some kind of like media training or something. 
Yeah. To, or just being a, to... a normal person. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, sorry, ma'am. You, you can't go there because you might catch fire. Right. Well, and attitude. Right. And we have no, we can't be sending firemen to go save your ass when they're trying to put out fires over here. Like, and it's just, you're right. It's just like the skill of having a fucking conversation. You can tell that I truly, to my core, still believe, and I think I've, I've, I've been proven wrong with the fact that cops did support mandates and they were totally for shutting down the truckers and their heads were in a different planet than mine. But I mm. still do think that many, many, many cops are like, fuck, this is wrong. Oh, I, I know it. Right? I know it. it. There's def- and, I, and I think it's the majority. But again, like you said, you'd have a platoon of 30 guys. They'd all bitch about one boss or they'd all bitch about something. And only one or two guys would speak up for yep. the crowd because yep. everyone else was afraid. Yeah. Well, guys from my old unit probably hate me for saying this, but I was one of the least vocal critics of Trudeau before COVID mandates came along, right? Like I did, I never voted for him. I never liked his politics, (laughs) but I kind of was just like, you know what? This is the job that I'm currently in. I'm going to be good at it. And you know, the, the cycle of things, right? Liberals for a while, then conservatives. Liberals for a while, then conservatives. Like, that's just the way Canada is. But all those critics got real silent when I started speaking out, right? Like, silent with me. Wild, eh? And I'd, I'm like, where did all these, like, rah-rah, tough guy, ERT, like, F the man, F the system, like, badass guys where did they all go silent closet closet cucks (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 crazy some of these guys some of these guys were like brothers i thought they were anyway before yeah i mean it's uh i know but i know i know how they feel about the like the this government and their policies and i know that they see what i see they see what we see. They see the destruction of our nation. Oh, yeah. But but they won't do anything about it, except maybe vote a different way. Yeah, which, I mean, isn't it is important, and I hope it's still important if there, our elections are even fucking real anymore. Um, what do you, you guys ever talk about the C-21 stuff with the firearms? Like, I mean, if you're a sniper and mm. our government's actually worried about all these long war style guns being out there that that should never land at your feet or even concern about citizens owning long guns does it as a sniper oh god no i that that was never even entered my mind hardly ever like even when i was working up north in the yukon you know you'd have people that were pro gun registry against the gun registry they had asked me my opinion i'm like I don't even think about it. I just assume that every house I go into has firearms, right? Especially, Especially I'm living up there. up there. Everyone has a hunting rifle. Everyone has a shotgun. Like it's just a matter of is it accessible or not, and will they use it against me? Like, and then when I was on the tactical team, you know, well, people didn't use us unless there was the possibility of a threat, right? Yeah, and so. I guess 
you know, if someone had like a fully automatic machine gun or a 50 caliber sniper rifle, yeah, I'd want to know that because that would really alter how I would build my plan. But I just assume that the bad guys I was going after were armed and would want to hurt me. And that was just kind of the mindset that I would take to work pretty much every day. And so they're killers. Like, so as someone who's ready to commit the crime of murder may not care about gun laws. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think the gun control has any impact on what criminals do to pro to, to get access to, to guns. Oh, it's fucking insane. It's all smoke yeah. and mirrors, man. It's all theater. It's all theater. Yeah. But it scares people. A- and that, that's what pisses me off is it scares. Like I've had conversations with people and now that I'm gone, everyone assumed that I just had guns because I had my, my service pistol. When I handed yeah. that in, I didn't have one. I had never taken the courses. So I was me never, too, I was never a gun. Yep. Me too. Yeah. So we took yep. the course and fuck, I won't say on here what's going on in my house now, but <laughs> fucking like, I think every good guy and law-abiding citizen should fucking have a gun. I truly, because bad guys are going to do bad guy things. Bad guys yep. are going to go get illegal guns anyways. Fucking any moron fucking street gang can get a gun and half these clowns haven't even passed grade eight schooling and they can get guns. So it's the sad reality. Bad guys do bad guy things. They're going to get guns illegally to commit the illegal crimes that are usually violent crimes. And some fucking farmer, if he wants a fucking AR 15 with a 50 round mag, I don't give a fuck. And I never did as a cop. I never cared. Right. You'd be going to a call. Oh, just so you know, there's fucking this many legal firearms. I'm like, great. Don't care. Cool. Awesome. Good to know. Don't, it doesn't like, it wasn't a thing, right? If I'm going to a violent domestic where all of a sudden, like he's beating the fuck out of her. Okay, cool. Now it's good to know that he's got guns. Right. But it's, it's, I mean, now you're dealing with a psychopath and there's evil out there and to punish 99.9999% of people who are law abiding. Fuck man. Arm yourselves, get guns, buy them all. You'll be able to barter bullets soon. Criminals don't care about a PAL or an RPAL. Criminals don't care about buying the gun legally and transferring it legally. Criminals don't care about registering. Zero fucks. (laughs) Zero. Zero. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Fuck. But uh, Um, it's, it's it's just vote pandering. That's all that is. But I mean, I'll give you a funny story. It's, it's unrelated to gun control, but it's about like the smoke and mirrors, the theater of it all, right? So I used to follow the motorcade all the time, right? That was part of our protective duties. If I wasn't doing counter sniper stuff, I was doing counter assault stuff and I'd be like, you know, all tacked up, you know, following the motorcade. And uh, that's all public knowledge, by the way. People see those guys all the time. It's not like I'm giving away any Gucci secret. And... We go out to the airport because PM's getting on an airplane. This time it's a little bit different than like your typical, he's just flying here and there. They got this big red carpet laid out to the airplane. There's flags and everything. And then we drop him off at this building instead of taking him right to the plane. And all of a sudden he comes walking out, walking out the this big entrance of this building. And he's like, you know, doing his like, Justin Trudeau strut down the red carpet and all the staff are there at the end waiting to receive him and his official photographer and everything. 
And we, all of us guys in the truck just start laughing. We're like, are you serious? Like, this is all such, this is all bullshit, man. Like, there's nobody here except us, right? He walks up to the top of the, the air stairs and he turns around and he does the big wave to the, de to the uh, departure ramp at the Ottawa airport, airport where exactly zero people are standing and watching. Zero. He was waving at zero people. It's all just for photo ops. It's all just PR, smoke and mirrors. He's so fucked. He, yeah. one, one of my buddies wanted me to ask you, why do you think his wife left him? Any, in, any intel? Any intel <laughs> on what's going on in that guy's fucking... Uh, in know, that guy's life? There's plenty of rumors floating around. And uh, I've heard, I try I've heard to some. stay... I, I know, I know. I try to steer clear of talking about people's home life. You know, because I mean, yeah. you, well, I just, you know, as much as I feel like he has wronged people and his wife probably isn't totally innocent. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, I don't think, you know, I kind of feel bad that her and her kids have to carry that name around for the rest of their life. You know what I mean? Like, Justin Trudeau, as much as I just can't stand him as a prime minister, and I truly believe he's done some evil stuff, I, I really I feel bad for his kids, man. Like I, when you, see, you know what? You, you, see, you see some of the stuff that people were saying when he's posting pictures of him with his daughter at Oppenheimer and his son at the Barbie, and I'm just like, oh, man, what have we devolved to? Like... Okay, I, I understand the anger towards JT. I really do. But some of the comments people made about his kids, I was like, that's gross, man. Like that's fucking wrong. We have to be we have to be better than that. Do you think he did that on purpose? Because he he has to know how much he is despised in this country. And he has to know, you know, like you said, the rage that people feel for this man. He he probably knows that fucking lunatics are gonna say shit about his kids, which is fucked. Like that guy out of anybody needs to keep his kids out of the radar, man. I like, I, I I agree. Um, so I have two thoughts on that. So number one, yes, he definitely seems like a gaslighting prick. Like he he's a narcissistic gaslighting prick for sure. But I also believe that he is constantly surrounded by his little echo chamber of people telling him how amazing he is. And so I think he actually believes it. And he actually believes that we're all out, that people like us are totally out to lunch. See that. And I also think, you know, that was right after he split him, and his wife split. So I think he's trying to like, Oh, look how amazing I am as a single dad. Now, you know, trying to gain some sympathy. Um, yeah, you're right. That was right after. Yeah, it was right. Like after. he posted that. But yeah, you're right. I'm not. You know what? I'm glad you. I'm glad you. You answered that way because that was more of a sort of. It's a, a PR twist. stunt that it's went bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and I hope everybody. You know, there's probably people that listen to this who fucking are hate listeners, and there's people who are like super intense about, you know, what we're saying here. But like, I think that's a huge message. Leave his fucking kids alone. They're out of play. Yeah, like yeah. all of our kids are out of play. You know, our side, the freedom side, or I. I just think the fucking common sense side same no different than i don't want a teacher talking about blowjobs around my fucking kids exactly right. so yeah. and you know if that's our stance then mm -hmm. leave his fucking kids alone because they're innocent they're children 
So I like if, how you answered that. If people went after my kids like that, it's they would time. expect they would expect a repercussion. Yeah. No, it's yeah. such a that's a fucking it's <laughs> a great response. That uh, yeah, my, it was just more of a funny thing from all the fucking rumors that I hear from people. Yeah. Well, hey, I've. I, I've seen a lot of the rumors. I've heard a lot of the rumors, but I just try and remind myself. It's kids. There's a lot of stuff that people in like the they call it freedom movement talk about. And some of it is pretty out there at times and mm -hmm. they can get pretty heated. Uh, and yeah. like heated debates can happen even within freedom people. And I just say, look, does it matter yeah. to how you live your life? Right, like yeah. government policies, like vaccine mandates, you know, shutting down businesses, people losing their jobs, that impacts your life. If the earth yeah. is flat or round, <laughs> what does it matter? We're living on it and we got to figure out how to live on it. <laughs> That's right. That's so fucking funny. Well, yeah. like even the moon landing, you know, people, ah, we never landed on the moon. I'm yeah, like, maybe, I don't care. Right, like whether Neil Armstrong walked on the moon or not doesn't impact how I have to live on this earth. I just assume I've been lied to about almost everything, and so I have to just Let's move forward. How do I, yes, exactly, how do I build the life I want in this messed up world of lies? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the biggest thing and message I hope that people hear is we need to unite with. I still think there's a fucking chunk of the percentage of our society that's just right on the fence going, the last three years were fucked. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm seeing it now. And then now they're like, oh, fuck, maybe those fucking crazy trucker fucking white supremacist fucking bigots are actually like nice dudes. Onto something. <laughs> and actually like really love their wives and love their kids and aren't bad. So you're right. Like, let's try to fucking, instead of, infighting and talking about the flat earth and fucking the moon who gives a fuck right <laughs> well, i don't right no exactly but it's yeah. it's but you're so it's so true and this is the last thing i'm gonna ask you and, and you it resonated with me because um one of you was your post about the whole richmond hill thing and you're disgusted and then that whole other shit about Hell that poor copper being compared to the fucking so serial weird. killer yeah it's insane but at the beginning of your video you let you were like, I fucking am trying to be off this, you know, and be present with family and try not to get, you know, wrapped up in it's it, and truly a lot of negative shit. But you're sort of you've sort of been placed in it as a voice, someone that people look up to, people respect, they trust you, they know you have integrity. And I, I, when I heard you, I, I felt it before Christmas, dude. I fucking had almost a meltdown with Jen, like a fucking nervous meltdown. I'm like, babe, I have to delete Instagram from my phone. I need to take a timeout because I'm going to fucking snap. Yeah. And I just, I needed to distance myself. I'm like, I can't, I did it was the fucking best thing, right? You feel it, you're like, oh, fuck, what am I missing? Fucking people need me to say something or fucking, oh, fuck, I hope no one needs me. But I didn't care. It was for the first time in two years since I left, since the fucking internet blew up and I joined your fucking team and we were all in the same fight that I needed a break. I needed mm -hmm. to fucking take care of me. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, like, how are you doing? Like, this is that, do you feel that shit? Because it fucking oh. hit me right before Christmas, dude. I fucking sat on the couch. I fucking had a, I broke down. 
Lost yeah, it. No, man, I, I, I've taken X off my phone. I've taken Instagram off my phone like multiple times. And I hardly even do anything on Instagram. But it's a time suck because I pay a lot of attention to what other people are doing and saying. And I'm always trying to like, okay, you know, like, you know, I get, you know, people close to me, people that I care about, people that I respect are like, you're my voice. You know, I, they, they tell me I'm, I'm their voice, right? Because I, I have a bit of a talent for speaking publicly, right? Whereas a lot of people, they're super, super nervous about that. And then I have, you know, people being like, oh, you know, thank you so much for everything you're doing. And I'm like, I'm not really doing anything other than just saying what I think. But, you know, all of that kind of, you get these little aspects of this feeling of like pressure, of like, hey, I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. And then I try and tell myself, I'm like, okay, I need to humble myself too. Cause I, you know, this kind of, th this is going to sound a little bit egotistical, but it's like the world's not going to stop turning. If Danny Bulford goes off of social media, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a former cop, right. Who stood up against something that I thought was wrong and criminal, but I, I need to like get on with life, right? Like I, I'm, I'm working on, I'm working on creating a new life with my family. And it's, it's been, a, it's felt like it just took forever to get where we are right now, even because like, you know, we're new jobs and homeschooling and selling our house and moving across Canada and all of these things, right. Just seemed to drag out because it, it was also kind of my wife and I were both kind of dealing with like a, like a post convoy depression, right? Cause we, you know, we we're riding such a high for like those three weeks thinking like, this is it. We're going to do it. The government's going to back down. And then to see how the police took it down was like, it was like you said, it was heartbreaking for me to, to, to witness that. Right. And that was also when a little bit of panic started to creep in. Right. Where I was like, Holy shit. Am I going to be, face to face against some of my old colleagues one day because they're coming to put me and my family in a camp and yeah, people, man. you know, I say stuff like that and people who never lived it, they react like, Oh, that's, that's outrageous. I'm like, is it? Because if I was thinking it, imagine what people who have no idea what policing is really like are thinking. And I hear that response all the time, everywhere I go. People get emotional and they say, you guys saved us from forced injections or you guys saved right. us like the convoy saved us from camps. People yeah. truly believed it, right? They I, truly believe, I still felt, believe it. Well, I do too, because there was voluntary quarantine camps constructed, mm -hmm. right? In different people provinces. Forget about, yeah, people forget about those being next to the airports like, and being covered in fucking right? like like poly like it was fucked pretty soon it doesn't take much for voluntary to become involuntary right we saw it in china we saw it in yep. australia you know they're talking about it in new york now like there was just something recently in the news about new york like a forced like something about uh, forced quarantine some kind of ruling in new york state like this this is a legit fear that people had and wow. i I had those thoughts myself. And so after the convoy, I wanted to just be like, okay, it's time to move. 
right? It's time to like get rid of our shit and get out of here. But then I had all these other people that I still love and care about in Canada, right? Both in the Ottawa Valley and in Alberta. But I'm like, I can't abandon them because if yeah. stuff does go real bad, I want to be here to help. It's such a fucking hard balance, dude. It's such a hard balance. And when you said that, I'm like, it was, it was, I just come back on social media, but yeah, man, it's fucking, it's, it's tough, but I, I get what you're saying. The internet didn't stop when I fucking turned off my Instagram. Yeah. Right. I actually got better. I hung out with my kids. It was great. Yeah. Right. But it's, it was much needed, dude. But when you said that on your, on your video about like trying to, you know, distance it, like fucking hit, fuck, he feels it too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. right. So and we're still little now. dicks. We're little dicks <laughs> exactly. in, in terms, but in, but like you said, people that reach out to you, the emotion that I've felt, especially at MYM in Kananaskis yep. of like the hot, like tell me, dude, people were hugging me, crying, like, Oh yeah. What I did, I'm like, what the fuck? I quit my, it was, it's just, I think what we did, it was more the, the significance and maybe just the fact that we were cops and they were desperate for at least cops to fight back. And if they weren't going to get that, it was more, at least there was a few in Canada. There, How many? There was only like a few that were, at least that were vocal. There was tons. Um, They said, fuck you, we're out. We're with the people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just, uh, like you said, that, People were hopeless. And so when they saw people like us in our positions stand up against what was happening, it gave them like, it gave them hope. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, and honestly, that's, that's what I that's hope we're still though. doing. It is. It is. It's it a responsibility is. that I, I honestly, I, I quit, did my post. Then the next day I was like, Oh boy, fuck me. What the <laughs> fuck did I just do? <laughs> You know, yeah. and it's it hasn't stopped, and I think that's why right before Christmas it's been two years. And babe, I'm gonna fucking snap. I can't. Yeah. I need to check the fuck out and literally be selfish, like completely selfish, like shut my fucking brain off, and it's just you, Rye, and Blake for yeah for the Christmas holidays. All right, buddy. Like, what's going on now? All right, let's move. You know what we're doing? We're moving forward now. Yeah. What is going on? with you guys moving forward? Well, we moved back to Alberta, which is our home province, Northern Alberta, back to the area where we grew up in. So, you know, there's some mixed feelings about that, like uh, for, for Pipe and I, but it is nice to be close to family, right? And it's, it's, it's really nice to be closer to our parents. So I was, the last few months I was working full time for my uh my in-laws and then i just just started a brand new gig today i'm not gonna say the company name because i don't (laughs) they might not be so crazy about me like advertising that i work for them so i'll just leave it i'm working in northern alberta somewhere um, yeah and my wife is uh just finished up uh, a breathwork a facilitator like instructor certification so cool yeah so you know we did breath work with samantha skelly at nym right like she led that session yep i i had actually gotten exposed to breath work even pre-covid and then that got me interested in wim hof and then so i was like mm-hmm. you know i was doing a, i had a wim hof practice that i was doing plus i was reading his book and 
So I was already interested in that stuff. So, you know, it, uh, if you've never done it, it's pretty powerful. And so it, you can have some intense physical and emotional reactions to it. And it's just as simple as breathing. But so she, she's just finished that. And she's doing, uh, she's now trained in getting into live blood analysis, where they actually take your blood, put it under a microscope and put it up on a screen and kind of show you different, you know, what could be in your blood or what, what your blood should look like compared to what it actually is like and potential reasons, you know, why your blood isn't optimal and how you can try and fix that. That's so cool. So the breathwork stuff, is that uh cold, cold tub also just, I do that. Not, yeah. Not in the cold. Like it yeah. could be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the breath work itself is typically done on its own. Okay. Um, like it's like a, a breathing exercises. What she just finished is different than the Wim Hof method. I'm actually studying the Wim Hof method actually to become oh, yeah? an instructor. Yeah. I'm on Sick. the like level two. So um, that's something I've been working toward as well, just cause I'm super interested in it and I love it. Like uh, the cold water, it uh, so good makes you feel like Superman when you come out of it. What she does is different than the Wim Hof method, but I do, I do the Wim Hof breathing myself as like a practice and I do the cold exposure. It's wicked. When I just jump in the cold tub, I just try to breathe as like long and as slow as possible. I don't even fucking know yeah. if that's right. Um, yeah, that's yeah, what I he recommends. I, I, I fucking love it, man. Like sauna, cold plunge. I, yeah, man. I think I probably do it four to five days a week. I fucking, I'm addicted. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I don't have, I need to invest in like a good cold plunge so I can actually do like more ice baths more often, but I definitely, I'm pretty consistent with the cold showers. Those are fucked. <laughs> I, 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 I think are... the cold bath is worse. Uh, you know what's, so uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm like cheating. I do sauna cold plunge. We were doing the phase, whatever, a 75 hard. And it was like, just jump in a cold shower. I'm not yeah. hot from a sauna. That's fucking torture. Oh, that's that's like next, it's yeah. next level. Like it's, as cold as it goes, fucking take, you can't even breathe. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fucking good. I, oh, you're right. When you come out, you feel like a fucking. I, fucking I cheat baby. a little bit too. Like I often will do the hot shower first to clean off and then end cold. But if I'm going to go straight cold, I kind of warm up a little bit. And then, so like when I get in there, I don't just stand there and take it. Every now and then I will, but usually when I get in, I'm like, I'm moving around a little bit, right? Like I might do some like body weight squats or something like that to kind of like, Fuck. it takes the, it kind of takes the edge off the cold water a little bit. Fuck yeah. That's next level, man. How could people support Danny Bulford and your family? Obviously we're not, we can't talk about your new business or your new company. I don't know. Other than just supporting your message. I mean, I don't think that we're through with having to hear you use your voice and us stick up for peeps that, that yeah. haven't built doors, haven't built up their own yet, but where can people find you? How can they support you? Well, um, my biggest following is on X. And so that's at Bulford Daniel, just, just my name, super simple. Um, it's, 
I don't think I've, I've never seen like a phony account of me, but if you're looking for me, you know, it's at Bulford Daniel and the picture it, I haven't changed it ever. It's that little image of me in like that cream colored cardigan that people ask me about all the time. Cause that was when I, like they coined it kind of my resignation speech. So that, that's the profile picture. And then I'll share on, Insta- at in, on Instagram, it's at Daniel Bulford. So it's the, the names are inversed. But, and my profile picture is actually me wearing this hat with my God family country hoodie on in Kananaskis at MYM. <laughs> that was so much fun, man. So good. like awesome. we met, we met in Durham at a rally different. Yeah. The, the, the time we spent in, in Alberta in the mountains was fucking like we came home jet like i'm like was like the happiest fucking dude for like it like the high lasted for weeks yeah like yeah, i was we, emotional we were, it was fucking awesome yeah we 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 had the high and then we kind of had a bit of a crash it was like okay that was amazing now what are we doing <laughs> so we had to kind of like sort ourselves out a little bit and especially you know like going right into the the job with the in-laws and then next thing you know kids are in school kids are in hockey it's christmas it's like oh my god time's going by so fast we were like are you going in in may may june to calgary yeah yeah we bought yeah we have tickets yeah you Fuck bet yeah same we'll see yeah, you man. there yeah man, it's only awesome. five months away what five months yeah, away? i know it's crazy right? crazy how fast that goes yeah i love it so pumped so pumped yeah. you know what, man like i'm so happy that you came on here um appreciate everything you did we were we were on our way to Ottawa when you were getting handcuffed. We were like halfway there and we're like trying to get there as fast as we could. And then I got there and then they were trying to or threatening to arrest me. When they arrested you, like they fucked up. It was one of their fuck ups. They they ra- like everything that they did was rallying the country. I mm-hmm. I truly feel in that moment when when they handcuffed you and it was like, no motherfuckers. No. Right, like what, you did, <laughs> what you did as part of the convoy, you were such a huge part, and I appreciate the fuck out of you, man. Oh man, thank you very much. Actually, you know what's funny? That was that's not just a that wasn't just their mistake from our point of view, but from the police point of view as well. I don't know if I told you this or not, but so I did an access to information on myself with uh, RCMP. OPP and Ottawa police. Although I got to, I got to resend my request through Ottawa police, but in the disclosure from the RCMP, I have police communication between like RCMP officers. And it says right in there that the reason the Ottawa police gave the RCMP about why Ottawa police released me without charge was due to no arrestable offense. So I have that in writing. So, I mean, I kind of put those RCMP guys on the spot because there was like, we were getting messages that the news was reporting that they were looking for me to arrest me. So that's why I went out to kind of confront them. Cause I was like, I want to look you in the eye and I'm going to force you to do it. Or I'm going to, I'm going to, like, I'm going to make you feel super uncomfortable. I was kind of hoping, like, uh, one of those last-minute, like, heartstring pulls might make a couple of them be like, no, we can't do this kind of thing. Didn't work out that way. But, um, yeah, that was an unlawful arrest. Huge. And a, and a 
like that was depressing because when we it was like fucking obviously i was in that war in world war ii or in any war but we couldn't get there like i fucking have the skills to like i couldn't get there i'm like babe i'm like the first the, well, we went the first one locked down pretty hard it was the first cop recognized me he's like if we see you at the next one, you're going to get arrested. I'm like, fuck them, babe. We're going. And I'm fucking driving. I'm trying all the tactics. And they got spin people working. They got helicopters. You've been arrested. I think, no, Tamara hadn't been arrested yet. Yeah, hey, Tamara got was... arrested the night before I did. Okay. So, yeah, that's happened. I'm like, they don't like Danny. They don't like Tamara. I'm of the same. They don't like me either. I'm like, mm -hmm. babe, if they, what if they arrest me and I don't get out? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I just I made one of the few mature decisions in my life where I'm like, babe, I got to back down. We got to go. We just basically booked a different hotel out of town and drove home. I'm like, I can't risk it. I'm guilty about that a little, but I'm like, fuck, uh, what do I do? Man. Like, right? oh, like, I, I had a little dark moment where when I first got arrested, initially I felt relief because I was so tired from that three uh, weeks. Like I hadn't hardly slept for three weeks. And so like when I finally got arrested, I was like, okay, like, you know, the, the pressure kind of came off a little bit to be like the guy. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll go get, I'll just, they'll put me in a cell and I'll go sleep for like a day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was sucked though. They have like the most uncomfortable cell block I think I've ever seen. But How long are you in? Uh, I was in custody for about 12 hours, 12 and a half hours total. But like, that's fucked up. Two ish hours was spent like just standing in the arrest line waiting to get handed over. Um, but uh, when I was in cells, Chris Barber was coming in and out of cells too because he had been arrested the day before. And so he was already going back and forth to like bail hearings. And so I kind of just, I was thinking like bail hearing. I thought they would just like punt people out on like, you know, if they're going to charge you, they're just going to like dump you on an appearance notice or something, right? Like uh, with an undertaking conditions not to, not to be in Ottawa, not to come back, something like that, right? And so... And he's going back and forth to his bail hearing and we're doing like the little jailhouse thing, right? Where we can't see each other, but we're like up against the bars, like talking to each other down the hall. Oh, for fuck. And he's talking about like how much he has to post for bail and he doesn't know if he's going to get out. I'm just like, holy shit. Are they actually going to hold people for this? I was like, no. Certain people. Like, well, Certain exactly. People. Right. And uh, so I, I was pretty relieved like when the big the homicide detectives so i think there's like three homicide detectives that are like running that file one guy like the main guy great big monster of a man um he's got like a reputation for being like a super seasoned homicide detective and he had tried to communicate with me a little bit we actually did communicate a little bit back and forth before all of the arrests happened and i was trying to like tug at his heartstrings too and um, he comes and gets me out of the cell block. It's around midnight. He takes me upstairs to an interview room. And I'm like, ah, okay, I know what's going to go down here. And he's, he's got all of my personal belongings in the room. And I'm like, oh, he's going to try and sweet talk me into a deal to let me go right now. Hmm. And this monster sits down across from me. And he looks at me and he's just like, why are you here? 
and I could tell he was just seething. And I was like, because I was arrested? And he's like, did you ask to be arrested? So I told him the story, but oh, I got a message. The news is reporting that the police were looking for me to arrest me. So I went out to meet them. And you could tell he was just like, fuck. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first clue. I'm like, I was never part of the arrest plan. Anyways, he, get, he tells me like, yeah, we're going to let you go. No charges. He's like, but this needs to end. And I was like, I agree. Like thinking like, yeah, it needs to end. Like the government needs to back off. What's the context and, uh, of what needs to end? Yeah. Well, what needs to end? And then he just walked me out the door and basically said, good luck. And that was it. Wow. Well, oh, fuck. I'm sorry you had to go through that, man. I mean, it was, again, super important and massive part of our history in this country. And, you know, I've, I've said it before. Our kids are going to be able to look at us and be proud. And that's all that fucking matters. When, when well, history that, is told, I've we're the good guys. Em, yeah, I've gotten pretty emotional at times when I've been having these kind of talks because that, that's, that's why I... You know, that, that was one of the biggest reasons I did what I did, right? Because I was like, I need to be able to look those kids in the eye and they need to know that I did what I had to do. Like that I never would let anybody harm them, no matter what, no matter who it was. Yeah, and you walked away from, I don't know, you well, the golden handcuffs, but you, you like the decision you made, like, I, I feel it. I did it. We did it. But again, you know. I hope cops don't think we're fucking trying to like pile on them. Like, I fucking love you guys. Just do what's right. You know, whatever happens in the future, you're with the fucking people. Don't let these Freelands or Trudeaus or even fucking whoever ends up next in power fucking tell you what's what to do. And if it feels wrong, you're not getting fired. Just say no. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, and it's gonna spill over if there's a couple of you and you're like fuck you no right <laughs> and then it's gonna it's gonna grow it's just how this is human nature the leaders that are still there that have their fucking heads on proper they need to be the next ones that that stay and and fucking rally the troops to do what's right because we're gonna yeah. go through this again it's well, something's something's happening let's fucking be real here <laughs> you well, know I mean, we I do think that the convoy helped put the brakes on the agenda a little bit because it was like a slap in the face for the government. Like, Ooh, you mean people aren't just going to lay down and do what we say, but that doesn't mean they've quit. Like they're still pushing their agenda, right? They're just trying to do it probably a little more drip drip now because with COVID they kind of ramped up full throttle, yeah. but I know like I've been, I've been very critical of different, police agencies i try and direct it more towards the um like the senior managers but definitely like former colleagues of mine have probably felt slighted by some of the things i've said but i know there are the vast majority of them join for the right reason and they're they're trying to do good and like you said 
you're not going to, at most, you might get a slap on the wrist discipline wise. If you stand up to something internally, right. Uh, you know, if you, if you do it publicly, like we did, well, yeah, okay. You're going to get punished. But if you keep it in house and you keep shit squared away in house, you're pretty safe. Right. Like you said, like I've seen, I've seen guys who've been convicted of criminal offenses that kept their job to never lost a day's pay. Yeah. Yeah. But I also want them to recognize that the people that you're afraid of, like that would take your job or punish you, those are the same people that would throw you under the bus in a heartbeat if it served their political purpose. You've seen it from politicians. You've seen it from your own officers for sure right so if stuff if the situation gets real bad who do you think is going to back you up the commissioner or people (laughs) like danny and mike yeah exactly yeah and at least now we can do it from the outside and give zero fucks what anybody thinks and we can say whatever we want (laughs) yeah exactly right (laughs) that's the best part you mentioned something about like uh i guess leaving the rcmp was probably one of the easier things i did uh over the last few years right like the whole moving across canada and trying to sort out what we're going to do about life and rebuild like that's been way more challenging especially like the whole taking the kids away from their home and their friends and their the hawk their hockey team all that stuff right um but as soon as i did as soon as that resignation was official my very first thought wasn't like oh what am i gonna do my first thought was like oh, you don't own me anymore like that's how i felt like, yep. like you don't own what i say and do anymore yep yeah yep. when my thing when my thing hit six buzz whatever next day or two, two days later uh a friend of mine detective from professional standards so like internal affairs she called me she's like mike what the fuck did you just do <laughs> she's oh. like they want you to, she, they want you to take the post down because the york emblems behind my police dog in the picture yeah and i'm like you can tell them to go fuck themselves <laughs> and, and just like you said they don't own me anymore which is a fuck that like there's right and wrong whether and I agree there needs to be some sort of a chain of command and rules and procedures to a fucking point. There's right and wrong. And I think policing has nosedived way too far into the woke agenda and the wrong side of right and wrong. And I think that, you know, you're not allowed to speak out. You can't fucking embarrass the service. You can't all this bullshit. The services are embarrassing themselves right now. They're and, destroying and in, their own credibility. And yeah. internally, they're a fucking disaster. Yeah. Everyone hates everybody. Everyone's out for themselves. Not so, sure. I shouldn't say everybody. The little people are the ones that get fucked, just like in society, right? Yep. The big dicks are trying to become even bigger dicks, right? And there's just a bunch of people that just want to go out and fucking arrest bad guys, right? Yep. That's it. Want to go to work. Be, be safe. Come home to the family. Safe. Done. Oh, right? I, I never wanted to be public. I never even had aspirations to be like a hey, like a white shirt, right? All I wanted to do 
was try and be the most dangerous badass I could be. So that like when a real bad guy had to be hunted, it was like, send me. That's that that's what I wanted. All I ever wanted to, was to like send me after the most dangerous people in society. So that like the unexpecting street cop who stumbles across the guy at a traffic stop or at a call, he has no idea who this guy is. Like, let me and my team go hunt this guy. Like that's all I ever wanted. We should have worked together. Oh, buddy, would have been awesome. <laughs> Just like the movie Cobra. <laughs> Leather jackets and everything. Just fucking up <laughs> bad guys. Isn't Fuck. that where the bad guy had like the, the crazy knife with like the brass knuckles on the handle? Fucked up movie, dude. But <laughs> yeah. Sylvester Stallone doesn't fuck around in that movie. Yeah. Right? Match. But... Did he always have a match in his mouth? Yeah. Sick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. But you know what? I, I don't know. I hope my kid isn't a cop. He keeps fucking talking about it. I just, you know, I, I, fuck, he'll probably be a good cop. I don't want him to be one though. I don't know that I, I struggle with that. Ryan doesn't talk about it. Blake, fuck, he says it all the time. I'm like, oh, I don't want to crush your dreams, kid. Do something else. Fuck. You know, there was a time where I would have been like, I would have encouraged people. You know, military policing. You know, like, yeah, it's honorable to serve your serve your people in that way. But with the current state of our government and those both those institutions, I would really encourage them to think think twice about what they're getting into. Because I, I've even had I've even talked with Pipe, right? Like, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm blacklisted from policing ever again in Canada, and that's I'm kind of okay with that. Um, would you go back? Of, no. Definitely okay. not with the RC or anybody or anybody that conducted themselves the same way. Yeah. Um, I thought I had a brief thought about applying for the Alberta Sheriff's Department because they have like a fugitive unit. And that was the one thing I always wanted to do was basically Fuck like, yeah. like U.S. Marshal type work. Right. Fuck yeah. But Piper's like, Danny, think of how people think about how people look at the police now after COVID and after the convoy, like, I don't want you doing that. And I'm like, oh. yeah, fair enough. That's, yeah. that's valid. It's, it's worse than before. Yeah. It's, for sure. And it was, and it was bad before. And it's, it's fucking too bad, man. Yeah. But you know what, buddy, I fucking appreciate you. Thanks for coming on here, man. Uh, um, I appreciate you too, man. Thank you for yeah. having me. No, buddy. And uh, thanks for all the listeners fucking support the brand. Let the people know. <laughs> People's brand. That's it, man. Yeah, We're just man. fucking I've, here to. I wish I had my God family country hoodie on. That's all right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's your profile pic too. I love it. Yeah, I know. Appreciate it, man. Um, subscribe, like, share the fuck out of this stuff. Um, share a message. Um, just simply by wearing a hat. I, I love it. Um, this year's been fucking awesome, and and thanks to guys like Danny for fucking saving this country. To be honest. So, uh, all right, dudes. Just keep encouraging people to just stop going along with the lie. If you know something's bullshit, say it. Right? Yeah, Stand up for what you believe is true. For cops internally, when you're talking to your friends, neighbors, whatever, just you can deliver your message and not be a dick about it. Right? Yeah, man. Be you. Be the real you. 
Yeah. All right, guys. Love you. I don't want y'all to get offended. Everybody's just so sensitive. It's crazy. It's ruined so many friendships. Okay, I'm going to come back later. Why would I care about my haters? All I care about is my friends, my family, and my Lord and Savior. I'm back now on a track now. West Virginia's finally on the map now. I just do my thing. Let my guitar sing. Thing like I never left my flow is heaven sent on me and jerky is venison. I am pure excellence. I am the excrement. Everybody's in the room. I'm the elephant. Hey.